0: Let me show you Africa as an entrepreneur. Africa is a fundamental part of the global economy. There are people building businesses in Africa, continental businesses that are huge businesses.
1: So it's a vibrant, young market with lots of energy, talent, and skills. What can I do? What role can I play? What is my purpose? When we put our faith and our trust in God, He is the master strategist and always directs our path.
0: God went off to the very thing that could become a mammon stronghold in my life. He said he wants that.
1: And every time it gets too difficult, I basically say, you are the one, this is your business, God. You will get the glory.
0: Uh, there's a way the world does business and there's the way we do business. So come, come see that Africa. The size of our continent, along with our diverse cultures, provide us with rich insights into god and his creativity we are excited to highlight the many influential voices of innovators and entrepreneurs across africa we will also feature some entrepreneurs from around the world who we think have important things to say no matter where we call home these are the stories of how businesses flourish and how his called to create continues to this day. Come for the content. Stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Africa podcast, where we spotlight the voices of entrepreneurs and innovators shaping the marketplace across the continent. This week, we are featuring Fola Laoye. Fola carries with her, a wealth of experience leading in the Nigerian healthcare industry. She is the co founder and CEO of Iwasan Investments Limited, a health investments holding company. The name comes from a word that means to cure or to heal, and it summarizes the company's mission to provide capital for quality healthcare services. In addition to her work at Iwasan, Fola founded Health Markets Africa, an advisory and investment company. She joins the show to talk about embracing her role as a founder and leading as a female in a largely male industry.
2: All right, all right, all right. Faith-driven entrepreneur podcast listeners. Your co-host Afosa is here again, and I'm here with a good brother of mine, Frank Frank, how about you just introduce yourself briefly? Very briefly, though.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're saying I'm long-winded there, Posa. No, 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 I'll be very quick. But it's great to be on the podcast again. So glad to be invited on again. And I'm Frank. I'm based in Harare, Zimbabwe, a very beautiful country, Southern Africa. And it's great to be here. I'm part of the community team at Faith Driven. Just so excited to see as many entrepreneurs succeed in what God's called them to. So it's great to be on the podcast. And yeah, it's great to be with you again, Fossa, all the way in the USA.
2: Awesome. 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 Yes, I am based in Boston. And yeah, I'm going to be a co-host, co-pilot here today with my good man, Frank. And we have an amazing, amazing, amazing guest today, uh, Sister Folat Laoye, a fellow Nigerian. I mean, there's so many things I can say about her. But let me just start by allowing her introduce herself just a little bit, and then we'll delve into the impact she has had on healthcare, the landscape across Africa, and how God is really using her to change lives. So, Sister Fala, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you here.
1: Hi there, Fusa. Hi there, Frank. Thank you so much for inviting me and thank you for getting this going. Of course, I'm extremely thrilled to be here on, on the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Platform. I'm really following a lot of what's coming out, and you know, I'm hoping that you know we use this to bless many and many, many, many people across the continent. I'm Lawi, I'm first and foremost a Christian, a wife, a mother of two, an accountant by training, and for the last, I would say, 25 years or so, I've been delving into working in healthcare in Africa. So that's me in a (laughs) nutshell.
2: All right, let's get right to it. I'm not even going to ask how an accountant became a healthcare expert because that's, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but let's get right into it, right? Healthcare across Africa is something that, you know, almost anyone you ask, you will say, man, there's a lot of room for improvement, uh, especially as you look at the response to COVID-19, the pandemic, it exposed a lot. But man, you've been working in this industry for over 20, 25 years. So can you just maybe give us a flyover for where it has come from and where it is today?
1: Sure. Well, maybe first of all, I always find that it's good that I mentioned that I'm an accountant so that you can see that I'm coming into this not as a healthcare service provider, myself, although I consider myself a healthcare worker. (laughs) Very much so. I mean, I came into this industry really coming from a financial services background, coming out of a school not too far away from, well, or shall I say, one of the same schools that EFUSA went to. And at that time, thinking very much, very hard, long and hard and saying, I wanted to suddenly continue to work in the private sector. But I wanted to work somewhere with a purpose, you know, so for me, it was, you know, really being able to see, you know, a purposeful sort of career, even though obviously there would be, shall I say, a profit bent to it, and certainly most especially an entrepreneurial one. And at that time, both my folks, both my parents, they were both doctors, so that's really my link, and they had, you know, a long career in the public sector and had shifted into the private sector and had built their first hospital. So I saw the opportunity there at the time to really, you know, bring my skills into a purposeful environment and really help to sort of increase the impact of the work they were doing. And if I fast forward, you know, what was healthcare like then to now, Certainly, at that time, private healthcare was beginning to take shape in Nigeria and in most parts of Africa, really because the public systems had become more and more underfunded. And, you know, a lot of people were, of our populations were looking for alternatives. Fast forward to now, private healthcare in Nigeria is almost 50% of the delivery system. So it has grown significantly. So it's grown significantly on the what I'll call supply side, supply of services and infrastructure, clinics, hospitals, pharmacies, you know, the whole value chain. And, but it's also grown in terms of what I'll call the demand side. You know, you find that over 70% of our population are paying for health care out of their own pocket and therefore can seek care where they want it. So that has really changed the face from what was initially a single-payer, single-provider government system, to a much more, shall I say, dynamic, multi-player, multi-service type of industry, which has certainly improved the kind of services available, but with its challenges, you know challenges largely being you know a lot of the facilities are still very much subscale in terms of size just because of the capital required and being subscale and being extremely fragmented you know has made it a either quite expensive to run or difficult to access so those are i would say some of the major challenges we face but Again as I said I think we've seen a significant uh, step change and growth you know over the years.
2: Wow no fa- thank you for giving us that flyover. I mean it's really interesting right going from this largely single payer public government funded type system to now this dynamic healthcare Innovation environment. One question that popped in my mind as you were describing that is how have the regulations come along on that journey? Because I can imagine some of the regulations, when you are sort of the single payer, publicly funded entity or industry, would need to be different when you have the dynamism of entrepreneurs, innovations, private capital seeking returns. How have the regulations evolved and do you see them evolving in the right direction?
1: Sure, I think it's been a number of things. One is, of course, I'm talking very much the Nigerian context now. Nigeria is a federally governed country with a federal government and 36 states plus a federal capital territory. And what happens is that health actually is the responsibility of both the federal government, the state government and the local government. So, you know, a lot of government players. And whilst they still continue to provide care, they also still have the role of regulating care. And they do it in a number of ways, particularly for the private sector. The regulation happens at the state's level. So each state has its own regulation board where, you know, private clinics, hospitals have to register pharmacies have their own pharmacy board where they also have to register. And then professionals have their professional board, the board for medical doctors, the board for nurses. I think it's pretty much similar to what you see in other parts of the world. So I don't think what we are running is any different. But perhaps something else that's interesting that is also beginning to play in the regulation space is health insurance. So one of the early things I did when I came into healthcare was actually to really work with the government at that time uh, to really pull together a health insurance framework that was governed by legislation and to execute with that. That again, 20 odd years later has really evolved and there's now legislation and regulation for health insurance at the state level You know, as well. So that has brought another layer, which is still new and perhaps not yet really being executed, but we can sort of, you know, look forward to the next few years of that additional legislation. I think all of this has been interesting because when COVID broke, now, given the fact that COVID was, you know, a pandemic and there was a lot of biosafety and biosecurity concerns just like everywhere in the world, at the very start, it was very much, shall I say, driven, or the care of it, and even the response was driven very much by the public system, by governments and global institutions like WHO and so on. I think the fact that there was regulation uh, made sure that the government here in Nigeria could really ensure that the private sector or, you know, Folks who didn't really know what they were doing ran away with it and and they could really sort of keep their eye on making sure that the care system for COVID was something that was, you know, really well and tightly regulated. So I think to some extent, it appears that some things are working. (laughs) Let me put it that way in the regulatory space. For sure.
3: <laughs> no, that's fantastic. And it's you know, when I see you and the amount of work and the amount of things that you've done for Nigeria, I'm I can't but say I'm overwhelmed and inspired by your story. I mean, for those listening for lies, Harvard, graduate, and just hearing that and just hearing, I know Nigerians are very well learned people, and just seeing your ability to do incredible stuff in the marketplace from moving as an accountant to a health, Care worker, as you said, it's it's very astounding. But I, I want to really pivot on this thing of the knack that you've had as a woman, striving through doing your CA exams; those are crazy, and not to mention your your MBA Harvard journey. You know, over your career, you've funded a lot of companies, and at first it started with with health markets Africa, and now you're with Iwasan, where you serve as the CEO as well. I hope I said that correctly. But what led you to start all these organizations?
1: I mean, well, maybe first to address the gender issue, um, I'll say this. My mother is a professor of medicine. You know, she's 88 years old now, but, you know, she graduated top of her class in medical school. And because of that, you know, she did amazing things herself. You know, she was an amazing scientist, you know, physiology professor. She went around the world, literally opening medical schools. And then, of course, you know, also pivoted and became an entrepreneur by being the co-founder of, you know, the family hospital business with my father. So I grew up really in that sort of, (laughs) that shadow, if I can put it that way. And so I was never made to think that I was any different from, you know, what I could achieve or, or, you know, from my male counterparts. If anything, of course, it was how well could I do whatever I was doing. So that was sort of instilled in me at a very early age. But I think maybe also seeing both my parents and seeing them pivot also from being academics, being professors, being researchers, and then going on to being entrepreneurs (laughs) and also board members made me realize, and to be honest, they became entrepreneurs in their 50s. So it made me realize that, look, you know, there's nothing you can't do once God is in your life, once God has ordained it. You know, God's time is the time when you answer, you know, whatever he's called you to do. And so each time, yes, when I left the family company at that time, what was Hygieia, you know, I had two kids who were sort of middle school age. So it was a good time for me, again, from my role as a mother to also spend a bit more time with them, which I did. And then, of course, once they got a little bit older, I realized that yes, I could go back into sort of really doing what I felt I knew best, which was working in healthcare. And so I started Health Markets Africa, which at first was to support other health entrepreneurs and to use the experience I had had. Uh, you know, to help them to raise capital, to help them think through their operations, their governance, and so on, which was what I did for a few years. And then most recently, a year ago, co-founded Iwosong, which again is a health investment company, which has now gone back into, or brought me back, shall I say, to the fold again of bringing up um, acquiring hospitals building hospitals and building people building healthcare workers really for the next generation i hope
3: wow no that's incredible and i just really love the name of the company and you rightfully pronounced it and i i did it incorrectly as a start you yes you <laughs> did <laughs> Is yes, that correct? Frank, you did. He was Frank, saying...
0: you did. <laughs> Very no, I did it. Ah, I, was just li- I, was just, I was just
2: listening, saying, hi, see Frank, butchering <laughs> our <laughs> <I Bazuki>. tried. <laughs> you, you tried, you tried. Uh, you I tried. suppose
3: my mother tongue helps with being able to <laughs> speak these Bantu languages of ours. <laughs> uh-huh. <Yeah.
2: laughs> <I
3: don't know. laughs> no, that's fantastic. So obviously this word, as I've gotten to understand, means to cure or to heal. And how do you see the work that you're doing with your team? How's it contributing to the nation's healing?
1: Ah, That's a tall order. <laughs> but yeah, I think let's take it that, you know, we feel that, yes, let's start from where we are and let's build on what we're doing. And in terms of to cure, to heal, for us, we see that, you know, through several lenses. One key lens is providing capital. Because capital is very, very, you know, it's still very difficult for most healthcare businesses or healthcare entrepreneurs to come by. So we feel that bringing together wherewithal that we have of local investors, you know, and and finding patient capital to bring to the table is, is one key area that we see as our calling. The other is really investing both in what I'll call the bricks and mortar, the infrastructure, the equipment, but particularly investing in the people and investing in more and more healthcare workers. And I think the fact that it's happened at this time, again, is a, you know, God-driven timing because this is a timing where over the last year and a bit, we have seen a significant exodus Of healthcare workers out of Africa to the Ah, west, mm, particularly mm. Nigeria. And therefore, some of us are really now, you know, creating platforms, giving support, and really giving opportunities to train, to scale, and to also be empowered to take their place as healthcare leaders. So where we really believe that this is something that's extremely important that we do in the country so that that way we really have that next generation of healthcare workers and leaders who will be here to save lives because yes. that's still you know, a very important purpose and a very important task to undertake.
3: No, fantastic. And you know, that point that you spoke about of health workers leaving the country, we've seen mm-hmm. massive exodus of just human capital of our people leaving the continent. And and it's a huge thing because of some of the challenges that we have on the continent. And just with that, on this show, we love to talk a lot about um, how we want to change the narrative of Africa. We want people to view Africa in a different light. And as a leader in, in Nigeria and in this health space, how have you been able to draw other people in for opportunities in the space that you're in? No, No, certainly,
1: as I said, I mean, one thing that we realized was that the fact that you know we needed to create this platform for what I'll call the next gen, really, and for the next gen for themselves to realize that they can step up. You know, we see the next gen in, in Nigeria and in Africa stepping up already in certain areas, particularly technology, fintech and so on. But we feel that it's important that we can support and empower them to step up in healthcare because that's how we change the narrative. The more we can do that, the more we can create healthcare at scale. I mean, yeah. this is a country of 200 million people. The ratios of beds, the ratios of nurses, of doctors to the population are just really, really dismal. And to do so, we have to encourage, and we have to sort of put, shall I say, the resources, uh, and resources not just being treasure, but being time, you know, and capacity building and talent as well behind them to really make sure that they can see that there's a place here for them to continue to grow. I mean, like you rightly said, we said it at the beginning that the healthcare system still has a lot of challenges there's still a huge lack of trust, you know, in the system. There's still a lot of services that are not here. I mean, COVID really showed us, you know, how far we are from where we need to be. But we want to, but at the same time, even though COVID showed us how far away we were, it also showed us what was possible, you know, uh, volunteers, the level of Medical volunteers who stepped up, who stepped away from their jobs to say we want to come and serve this cause, was unprecedented, and it made us realize that yes, there is still that real purposeful community spirit that we can leverage on.
2: Oh wow! Yeah, I have to say, and I was in Nigeria a few times during COVID, and I visited other African countries, and I have to echo what you've just said. You know, by no means was it perfect, but I saw how people came together and people really tried right to contain the pandemic uh, from testing to you know just how seriously folks took it so thank you you know as i've been hearing you talk i've just been thinking about how incredibly heavy this burden you've taken on is, I mean, you are a graduate of Harvard Business School and when you graduate from Harvard Business School, you know life doesn't automatically become easy, but you can almost work wherever you want to in whatever country in the world. Like, like it does open up so many opportunities for you, but you've chosen to not only come back to Nigeria and have an impact on Africa, and not even say like healthcare, which is difficult on its own, but you've chosen to build like a healthcare infrastructure or a pipeline, what you call next gen. And that's heavy, that's difficult. And in many fields, right, healthcare as well, at least from an administration side and in the financing side, they tend to be male dominated. And so we would really love to hear you talk about some of the challenges you've experienced, right? Working in a space, right, that can often be male dominated, how you've overcome them, and what advice you'd have for women and men, quite frankly, right? I I think that a lot of times it's like, what advice do you have for women? But I'm like, nah, What advice do you have for for men too? So exactly, exactly. We we can yeah. So just help help us wrestle with that, you know.
1: I think you know it was interesting for me, as I said. I mean, maybe two fronts. One was yes, obviously have grown up in the shadow of my mom. So I'd seen my mom a strong professional woman, and how well she had chosen to balance you know, her life. I mean, my mom was not just a professor, or an academic, but she was also a significant researcher. But, yeah, coming into the workplace, certainly, I mean, it's two things. One is healthcare is a place where a significant number of women work there because, you know, they are nurses. And, you know, 60 to 70% of any medical workforce will be the nurses, and they're largely female-driven. However, they tend to be at sort of what I would call the you know, level one or level two in terms of their career, and in terms of management. And very rarely do they break through to senior or top management. So I think that was what I saw coming in the fact that there weren't many women in senior to top management. But I think I was also coming in, to be honest, not being a medical professional myself, so I was also coming in from the outside, if I could put it that way, you know, looking in. And therefore, I realized that I had to make, you know, a breakthrough. <laughs> and that breakthrough was important, whether I was female or male. You know, I had to make a breakthrough even from pivoting from a financial career into healthcare operations and investment career. So, yeah, I realized that, first of all, I had to learn i had to know more about the space than you know i had to really sort of you know bone up and read up and learn and experience and watch you know and just be in the trenches as much as i could you know sometimes i even went into the operating theater to watch wow. <laughs> <procedures>. <laughs> wow. but i learned very quickly that there was a particular place i needed to be in which was in the Male changing room of the operating theaters, which was where the surgeons would drink coffee after yeah. their procedures. And at the time, the surgeons, my father was a surgeon, so the surgeons were the ones who ran the hospital. So if I wasn't in the place where they were at making decisions, yeah. <laughs> it yes. was too late. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so sometimes yes. I had to find reasons to be in there, either to bring the coffee <laughs> or whatever and then join the conversation. So I think, yes, learning, you know, the trade, as it were, finding ways to connect with people. You know, one of the things I did, I'm a great soccer lover, and I've been a soccer lover since I was like 10 or 11. So that was an area where I could bond with my male colleagues. And so I did, you know. So I think, yes, just finding things um, that, you know, would create alignment, relationships, so I'm very much on the soft side, you know, not just on the really very professional side was as important, but really knowing my onions because I couldn't walk into the room and not, you know, know or at least have a good sense of what the discussion was or what we, or our needs were. Um, so I we think that's something that, you know, men and women, you know, as they move up in their careers have to know more and more about But I thought it was also important that there was more female representation in senior and top management. So I did deliberately, you know, get some of our nurses or uh, the non-sort of top professional women, you know, I got them into doing short business school programs, you know, that really helped to convert them into managers and then, you know, step into management roles and so on. And, And I'm glad to see that that has continued till now.
2: Well, wow, brilliant, and the insight, right? About well, going into the surgical changing room, you don't learn that at Harvard
1: Business School. No, 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 they don't tell you. You have to find your way. I'll tell you what happened. I'll give you a real classic. So, back from Harvard. So I came in and I was like, management meetings. You know, I've written the whole, you know, Porter's Five Forces. Oh yes, we've got to do yeah. management sessions and. I called the first two management meetings and i would be in the conference room all by myself. Nobody would turn up. Oh, wow. And that's wow. when I realized that they were in the coffee room. <laughs> okay. wow. So I had to find that coffee room to have that kind it of is. impact. <laughs> and, and,
2: I mean, you say that it, it does take a level of humility, to say, you know, I've called a management meeting, nobody's here, let me go to where they are. And I think that leadership as service and humility, which is one of the things embedded in or should be at least embedded in the DNA of a Christ follower, is so important if we are going to make transformational change that the continent requires. Just one more question before I pass it over to my brother Frank for the next session, which is rapid fire. As you look back at the just the landscape of healthcare across Nigeria and Africa, what would you say are some of the major bottlenecks that are not helping us hit that maybe exponential growth? Or is it capital? Is it the talent that's leaving? Uh, is it just an understanding even of the opportunities there are in innovations in healthcare? I
1: mean, maybe first of all, maybe in talking about the opportunity first. The opportunity is, well, you know, how do I say it, but really is in the fact that, I mean, first of all, we're a large population and one that is now facing what I'll call the double burden of disease. In fact, if you even bring in pandemics, it's the triple burden, so the first burden was what I'll call communicable diseases, like malaria, tuberculosis, and then, of course, 20 years ago, when I first came into the space, HIV AIDS was a huge thing that was, looked as if it was going to ravage Africa. So those were, you know, the key areas that we had to turn our attention to. Now, in the last 10 years, we are now dealing with the lifestyle diseases, you know, the cardiac diseases, the diseases of sugar in terms of diabetes, diseases, of course cancers and so on. So we're now facing disease burdens across the spectrum all within these 200 million people in the Nigerian context. So in many ways, while that paints a very difficult picture for most people, it is an opportunity from a healthcare point of view in terms of really being innovative and thinking about solutions that can do two things. One that can help to prevent and wellness has become, or shall I say, is becoming a bigger area that we are all focusing on and how to really put wellness, you know, and execute that for a major part of our population. And then, of course, the other thing, of course, is for us to really be enabled enough to look after these diseases. But what are the challenges? The challenges is, first of all, we have a significant urban rural in uh divide and most of the population live in the rural areas so there are real challenges of access to care access being physical access either because they just can't you know there are no roads or there's you know just just no real infrastructure for them to get there Again, access from the point of view of the medical infrastructure itself. you know We don't have a strong primary health system, so therefore the care that should be closest to the community oftentimes is fairly weak. And then, of course, there is the issue just of, of capital, of resources. So resources, as I said, to put those centers together, but resources because the rural population is a very poor population. So, again, if you look at the dynamics of the country, there is a lot of inequity when it comes to income levels and what you can they afford in terms of services. So it creates that challenge in itself of where do you, even with media resources you have, where do you make the investment, you know, such that you can look after, you know, a larger sort of, segment of the population such that they can have better access. But then again, where does it stop? Because, you know, once you get patients who enter the system and if they end up needing more and more and more care, where do you stop? Because the resources, again, are not endless. So resource constraints is significant. Now, of course, you've mentioned the other big issue, which is just people. And that in itself is, again, a bit... Disheartening because we have 38, I believe it is, or 39 medical schools across Nigeria. So folks wow. like my parents, that's what they lived for. They came back to the country after having graduated abroad in the very early 1960s, and they set about opening medical schools and creating training you know, opportunities for thousands of students across the country, and those schools still exist. So, you know, in a way, you would have thought that with the kind of process and volume that we could, you know, train medical personnel, yes, we would expect that we would have to, you know, um, export some of that talent, but not, you know, 40 or 50% of it, which is what is happening today. So, yeah, in a way, it's an opportunity because, again, at least we know we have a pipeline for training, so we keep at it. But, of course, it's still a major objective to see how we stem the tide of those going abroad so that they really can be part of the, you know, the service that is needed, you know, in the country.
3: And we're getting to what we're calling the lightning round. This is the most exciting round that we have where we fire a few questions to you and you need to answer them in about 30 seconds, 30 second long responses. And what's the one thing you wish people understood about Nigerian healthcare?
1: Ah, Nigerian healthcare. Well, I guess maybe it's what I mentioned, the fact that 50% of the delivery system is in the private sector. A lot of people still don't know that. I still speak to investors who still don't understand that dynamic. And therefore, you know, do not realize just how entrepreneurial the sector is so i think that's something that you know i do hope that people get to understand and appreciate you
3: know oh fantastic no, that's great and in one other interview once you mentioned that you do a bit of angel investing what sparks your interest what are the sort of projects that spark your interest
1: well, I mean, number one, healthcare. You know, healthcare for me is, you know, in all facets. So, of course, healthcare related startups and so on, and especially these days with healthcare and the, shall I say, the cost of healthcare and technology coming together, you know, has been quite exciting. But in addition to that, I also look at bricks and mortar businesses, which I think may be a bit unusual because most angels, you know, invest in tech. But I don't look at only tech because I realize that maybe because of, you know, the viewpoint I've had from, you know, healthcare operations and facilities, that without us really building the infrastructure, the tech itself, sometimes difficult to either enable or leverage. So I like to do that. And then, of course, wherever I see jobs being created.
2: Yeah, I love that. I love. I often say your digital infrastructure can only rise to the level of your analog infrastructure, right? Like you can't digitize a house. You can't digitize food. You can't digitize taking food from farm to table or, you know, surgeries. You can leverage technology, but I mean, there's some things you can't digitize. So I love that you do that because we
3: still need a lot of that analog infrastructure. Wow, amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's really good to hear that and to see that there's practical, physical things that you can actually do. And I love what i said that you can't digitize everything. And another question for you, and it's going to be interesting from an MBA graduate from Harvard in an interview you had with the God, you once mentioned that you're a lifelong learner. What oh. are you learning currently?
1: Ha, huh. Let's
2: see. Frank, just putting my sister on the spot. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think, I mean, of course I'm big about, as we said, innovation. So I do try to read whatever I can find about innovation, you know, how to innovate you know, how to sort of, again, encourage and work with your team, how to bring innovation in and how they need to think about it. So that's something that's big for me. And the other really has been the Bible. You know, I think just after COVID broke out, you know, I did with a few girlfriends, we decided to read the Bible again, cover to cover, you know, and yeah. we, we, did one wow. of, we did a Bible in a year program. So that, you know, it took us, yeah, about nine months to do so. And I think, you know, reading it in the context of just at that time coming out of what had been a very uncertain period for the whole world, you know, probably threw a lot of it much more into the sharper focus. Let me put it that way. So that's got me going and... Uh, reflecting and reviewing because you know there's there's so much in God's teachings that you know every time we start you know we go back and we reflect based on our experiences
3: yeah yeah no that's great and obviously you're a very busy woman you're constantly managing this business and you're reading the Bible you're a lifelong learner. what are the things that that bring rest how do you how do you find rest?
1: rest means, yes, switching off, having fun, most of it being with my family, with my kids and my husband. My kids are now at that age where, you know, one is in college, one is going off to college. So I, mean, I think I'm a bit conscious of the fact that very soon <laughs> I'm going to see, you know, much less of them. So whenever I'm I'm in, away from work, I do try to spend you know, a decent amount of time just chilling and, you know, being in their own Gen Z world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, uh, Z world. <laughs> but
1: also with a few key girlfriends, one of them who's on, you know, on this platform, we also, you know, get together, kick back, you know, relax, do things that we like to do together, go to the beach, you know, listen to music, that sort of thing.
3: No, that's wow. great. Well, thank you for doing so well in the lightning round, even though you were more yeah. than 30 seconds. But, uh... <laughs> hey, hey. You asked some tough <laughs>
2: questions. Leave, leave my sister alone.
1: <laughs> Oh. I survived.
2: <laughs> in, in all honesty, uh, this has been enriching for me, and I'm sure for everyone who's tuned in. Yeah. Truly, to meet someone who doesn't have to go through many of the travails and the and the sufferings, but is doing it for the greater good is reminiscent of what Christ did for us right i mean we are taught that he came down from his heavenly thrones because he loved us and so it's just for me i hear your story and all the opportunities that are afforded you even till this day and you're choosing to build, to do the hard work of building, I just want to say thank you. And the rewards are going to be there here and in the world to come. Mm -hmm. I want to just go out uh, with one last question. You never know who this is going to impact. But you know, I think God teaches us different things depending on the season in our in, in our life. And so what is one thing the Lord has been teaching you recently, or something that struck out in His Word, or just it might have even been during a worship service or in in, a, in fellowship with friends? But just what has God recently been saying? Hey, Fola, maybe do more of this or do less of. It. What's He teaching you now in your life? I
1: think for me, it's been. I mean, maybe if I can use a verse that really always strikes out at me, it's Matthew 6, you know, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. So that is it. I find that, you know, go to God first in everything. Start with him. He is the author, you know. He's also the finisher, but he is the author. So if you start with him, if you really, you know, and I think I have really... Got to that stage where I realized that I, you know, I go to him first I, you know, I seek him I, I put, you know, my all into him and after that then I then ask and to be honest, you know, there have been some, some mountains, some miracles almost that I've asked for and God has been gracious enough to give he doesn't always give it at the time you want it, sometimes you have to wait, I mean often you have to wait. And I think it's in that waiting also that he also helps you develop that faith because, you know, you have to keep strong in the faith in the time that it takes. So I think for me, that's still the strongest thing that I try to teach my kids. I try to sort of try to even just imbibe, you know, into my friends, into all those who are around me to say just... God
2: first, seeking first. Yeah. Very good. Wow. Thank you so much. Matthew six thirty three. everyone. Seek ye first the kingdom and all other things
0: shall be added unto you. Thank you yeah. so much for today. We are grateful for the opportunity to serve the community and see listeners tuning in from over 100 countries. Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. The best way to stay connected is to join a foundation group with other faith-driven entrepreneurs like yourself. There's no cost, no catch, in person or online. You can meet an hour a week with your peers from your backyard across the continent or on the other side of the world. You can also stay connected by signing up for our monthly newsletter at africa.faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. All this is made possible with the special help of all our friends thanks to the volunteers leading entrepreneurial groups and watch parties to spark this movement in your city and country we are grateful for you and hope you'll continue to share this with friends